Well, many of you will know that both my children now live abroad, and that includes my two little precious grandsons. Last month, Theo, who's now five, flew over from France to have a few days with us, and every morning he would hop into bed with me, and the day's chatter would begin. Grandma, what are those brown spots on your hands? Well, I think it's because... But why do you have them? Well, I think it's... And why do they go up all the way up your arm? Well, I suppose it's... And Grandma, why do you have dingly dangly arms? Oh, well... But why? Look at my arms. My arms aren't like that. And so it goes on. All day until bedtime. It's pretty tiring. But I love that little chap so much, I can forgive him anything. And it came to me that my relationship with Teo is a bit the way God sees us. Overwhelming love, patience and understanding when there's no space to get a word in edgeways. I was reminded this week of Psalm 103. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him, for he knows how weak they are. And so often in prayer, I will lay out my heart to God, all the people who desperately need prayer for one reason or another, all the countries in dire need of supernatural help, situations that seem hopeless, and then I realise the time and I think, oh no, I've got to be somewhere else. And there isn't time for me to just sit with God and hear what he's got to say to me. And that does happen quite often. Is God speaking all the time? Am I talking too much? Am I not listening? Am I not still enough to hear? So God, in his great compassion and mercy, has to reach me some other way. And so often he speaks to me through his beautiful creation and thank you Julie for choosing that wonderful film because gosh did that speak to me this morning God is all around us and again this song that you chose for the children God walking with us God says to Moses my presence will go with you and I will give you rest last month I was in Crete and I walked to the Imbros Gorge Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. God whispers to the human soul. I was surrounded by God's beauty and creation, and I was listening. I heard a little bleating sound up and looked through the trees and the bushes, and I could just discern a little black and white creature. And the words of John 10:27 came to me. My sheep listen to my voice. And I knew in that moment that that was the text I needed to bring today. I just knew it. So, to put that line in context, earlier in the chapter, Jesus has been talking to the Pharisees. These people don't believe in Jesus, so they don't belong with his sheep. It's only with the eyes of faith that one can see the truth concerning Jesus. Those who belong to Jesus hear his voice, they recognise it, they follow it. And today, we can listen out for the shepherd's voice 
even among the frenzy and clamour of 21st century living. His voice liberates, it doesn't oppress. He takes us as his sheep. And it's interesting that the word sheep is both singular and plural. Singular, he takes me, it's very personal. But sheep is also plural, it's all of us. It's all of us, sorry. Those who belong to Jesus hear his voice. They recognize it. And Jesus promises. He takes us when we are still in our mess and our sin, and he begins a process of transformation that lasts a lifetime. He promises. You belong to me already. No one can snatch you from me. I come to give abundant life, meaning the love of God made known to him, in himself. It's the voice of the good shepherd, a voice of promise. And location is important too. It's Solomon's porch during the festival of lights, Hanukkah, which remembers the rededication of the temple after desecration by the Syrians. It's the east side of the temple, which is the porch of judgment. From here, the king made judgments and would exercise justice for those who were brought to him. Judgment and justice. In the previous chapter, Jesus had said, for judgment, I have come into this world so the blind will see and those who see will become blind. And Jesus here is speaking with the Pharisees. Who is it? Who has the authority here? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly, people ask. The authorities question his identity and where his power comes from. Jesus answers, the proof is the work I do in my Father's name. But you do not believe me because you are not my sheep. The chapter tells us that Jesus' followers are protected by one who is more powerful than any thief who comes to steal and kill and destroy. The chapter is full of Jesus' declaration of his identity. Shepherd of the sheep. Gate for the sheep. The good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. The good shepherd who knows his sheep and his sheep know him. And again, I lay down my life for the sheep. One flock, one shepherd. And again, I lay down my life only to take it up again. My sheep listen to my voice. So there's a lot of repetition here. The first thing that strikes me in that little line, my sheep listen to my voice, is the repetition of the word my. My, the personal pronoun. Jesus claims us for himself. We're his. Our identity is tied up with his identity. We're secure. It's an astonishing promise of his care to us. 
The second thing that I began to think about, and actually Julie alluded to it there, was about being a sheep. Do I mind being a sheep? What do I know about sheep? Well, sheep actually are smart. And here's maybe one or two things that you didn't know. Ewes recognise their own lambs bleating. Now, you might know that. But when we think of it in terms of Jesus recognising us personally when we call out to him, that's pretty special. Sheep are intelligent and have good memories. Research has shown, apparently, that sheep can recognise up to 50 other sheep faces and remember them for two years. Now, that's a bit better than me, actually. <laughs> they can even recognise human faces and navigate complex mazes. Now, I found that fascinating. Our lives are often a pathway of different twists and turns and difficult decisions. Knowing that sheep navigate well gives us pause for thought for how we navigate our lives well. Sheep can self-medicate, apparently. They use plants that hold no nutritional value to prevent and treat disease. They teach their lambs to do the same. Sheep are emotionally complex with distinct personalities. They're capable of experiencing a wide range of emotions, just as humans do. They can be afraid, angry, bored, happy, sad. Sheep can be pessimists or optimists. So when Jesus is collecting us together as his sheep, implicit within that is all our differences, our emotions, our personalities, our highly individual needs. That's all covered. Sheep are highly social animals. The collective noun is flock. But sheep don't just remain together for protection from predators. They form st strong bonds, and not just mother and lamb, it's also other friendships. Apparently, studies suggest that sheep can identify those other sheep that are calm or fearful or startled. Isolated sheep can show signs of depression by hanging their heads or avoiding positive actions. Isn't that interesting? It seems that Jesus didn't just casually choose the sheep metaphor and that really made me think this repetition of sheep and all those characteristics of sheep my sheep listen to my voice listen do I listen am I too busy talking or too anxious to listen and what about those times of doubt when we're conflicted when we feel far away, when we turn away a bit, when we're not sure anymore, is God still speaking then? Why does God bother with us? Time and again in scripture we read of God's love and faithfulness. He's relational and in any relationship there's some kind of speech. In the very first chapter of the very first book, Genesis, God, God said occurs ten times. God is speaking right at the beginning. In Genesis 3, we see God's invitation to humanity to walk and talk with him. 
not to strive and achieve and make lots of money and have power over other people. What does God desire then? My presence in his presence. Brother Lawrence served as a lay brother in a Carmelite monastery in Paris in the 17th century. In his little book, The Practice of the Presence of God, he tells us that God paints himself in the depths of our souls. We must merely open our hearts to receive him and his loving presence. <clears throat> and from this day, deep place, we can sense God directing us, speaking to us through our conscience. He's nearer than you can... <clears throat> sorry. He's nearer than you can imagine, says Brother Lawrence. We can make our hearts personal chapels where we can enter any time to talk to God privately. But how, where, when does God speak to us? Am I missing something sometimes? We're not all the same. <clears throat> Some of us are auditory processors. You know, we learn well from listening to a sermon, listening to a podcast or listening to a Bible being read. Some people are people who learn by doing, by handling things, by exercise or whatever. I'm a visual learner, and so that's, you probably see me writing down what Chris says, and I need to see it in my own hand, as well as it being useful for later, but I need to actually see it for it to properly speak to me. And maybe it's because of the visual that I sense God speaking through the beauty of his creation, the natural world. And back to the Imbros Gorge, the power and majesty of the huge towering mountains encircling, um, touching the sky. And yet, deep within the gorge, tiny butterflies, tiny frogs emerging from tadpoles in tiny patches of water that haven't yet dried up. Beautiful wild flowers, miniature poppies in their twos and threes, fragrant wild oregano. Psalm 65 talks about meadows covered with flocks and valleys mantled with grain. They shout for joy and sing. Now, although I wasn't looking at flocks and corn, I knew exactly what the psalmist meant, that creation can speak and sometimes even shout. And later, driving in the Amari Valley south of Rathimno, the majestic mountains, the hairpin bends, made me feel quite small and insignificant and vulnerable. God's saying, look what I've created. And the words of Lectio 365 came to me, may I know grace to embrace my own finite smallness in the arms of God's infinite greatness. Isaiah says, he sits enthroned above the circle of the earth and its people are like grasshoppers. The night sky also spoke to me when we were down in the southeast. And the words of Isaiah seem appropriate. Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all of these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. The theologian, John Stott, 
suggests that no Christian can have a mechanistic view of nature. The universe is not a giant machine that operates by inflexible laws. God is living and active, and we depend upon him for our life and breath and everything else. We can hear God speaking to us through worship. It may be a quiet song, one where we sit, or it may be a vigorous time of worship. I was at a wedding last week in Dartmouth at St. Petrock Church, and I've never heard a rendition of How Great Thou Art quite like it. It was a rock version. It was loud. It was joyous. It raised the roof. It fully reflected the psalms. Let the sound of his praise be heard says Psalm 66. And I cannot but think that God was blessing that couple at the start of their wedding. Certainly heard God speaking through the worship. We hear God through others. God puts a Bible verse or a message in the mind of one person and that person knows that the message is for someone else and so in obedience they share it. And that happened to me some time ago actually. I've never forgotten it. I was walking along the high street and a young man stopped me. Only me. (coughs) Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour? He asked. It was early on in my journey of faith. I couldn't believe it. How did that young man know to stop me? When I reflect on it, I'm overcome with tenderness of God's desire to reach me, to confirm what I was discovering. And interestingly, I've had my godson staying this week from Cambridge, and he's not walking with God, but he's not totally opposed. But during the conversation, he just happened to say, I suppose many people have had a supernatural experience of some kind. But that begs the question, what do you do with it? What do you do with that? In his newest book, How to Hear God, Pete Gregg describes, can you believe this? Pete Gregg describes a time when he was trying not to believe in God. A stranger approached him apologetically at a concert and said that he had a message from God for him. The man said he'd been staring at the back of Pete's head for most of the gig and kept seeing a random, recurring mental image of a flickering candle which suddenly went out and plunged the room into darkness. Does that make any sense? He asked Pete. Of course it did. Wow. God's faithfulness in pursuing us. The Bible is full of examples of people being used to communicate a message. Lots of examples. Philip with a message for the Ethiopian eunuch, helping him with Isaiah. Wow. My sheep listen to my voice. Maybe God speaks to us through visions or pictures or dreams. The Bible's full of dreams. Through prayer. God speaks to us through prayer. Prayer is not for God's benefit, it's for ours. Jesus taught us to address God as our Father in heaven, a Father, personal, relational. He's loving. 
a father who cares deeply for his children. And prayer is not meant to be a monologue, talking to myself here, a dialogue, two people. God is forgiving and faithful. When I managed to dwell with God quietly in a little 14th century church in Greece, I sensed the hundreds of years of prayer that had taken place in that tiny building with painted walls. Prayer down the years, connecting to the present day. Many of you will remember that some years ago, a few of us went from Barton to Cambodia on a mission visit. And on the Sunday, I was at a remote village church with our pastor at the time, Richard. After the, the service, a lady came up to me and asked for prayer, something to do with her family. I began to pray, and suddenly I found that the spirit took over. Tears poured uncontrollably. I didn't really know what I was praying for, but then she started to weep too. She had no English, and you can imagine my Cambodian. That was pretty non-existent. And yet, God was there graciously connecting us through these spontaneous tears in both of us. It was an incredible moment, deeply moving, unforgettable, a very humbling experience in the power of prayer. God was powerfully present, speaking through the in outpouring of emotion as two hearts were warmed and joined. Actually, this was one of a few very moving experiences from Cambodia. There was I going, thinking I might be able to do something for somebody to help someone. But it was me on the receiving end. I was humbled by the learning, by God showing his care, his power, and his involvement in lives across the world. When we mentioned the Pharisees earlier in, chapter, uh, in John 10, John Stock, the theologian, says, the prayer of the Pharisees was hypocritical. The prayer of the pagans was mechanical. But for Christians, it must be real and sincere. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, says the book of Hebrews. I'm reminded of the need for prayerful self-examination and regular repentance. John Stock warns, Nothing keeps people out of the kingdom of God more effectively than pride and self-sufficiency. It's always wise, he says, before we pray, to spend time recalling just who it is that we're coming to in prayer. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. When our hearts are right, we have a wonderful reassurance there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, it says in Romans, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. What a promise. My sheep listen to my voice. Of course we hear God through Scripture. To hear, you have to read or to listen to his word. Now, I want to be a Mary, but so often I find myself being a Martha. 
I'm quite practical and I like cooking and I'm often in the kitchen. That's probably where you'll find me. But when I hear Jesus' words, Martha, Martha, Jesus, Jesus uses her name twice. And for me, this emphasizes the relational nature of Jesus. Saying her name twice seems to soften what's to come. The message is gentle but clear. It's Mary who's doing the right thing, leaving the jobs to listen to God first. Yes, the people need feeding. There's a crowd of people. The practical personality says, oh gosh, there's jobs to be done. How are we going to feed all these people? It's easy to forget Jesus providing wine in Cana for the wedding when it's needed, just at the right moment. Or Jesus taking those few provisions on the remote mountainside and making something special with that. Do I trust in God's provision? How deep is my faith? It's so easy to drift away from scripture. There's so much to do. Busy jobs, busy mums, a home to run, people to care for, children, grandchildren. But then John Wesley's mum, Susanna Wesley, comes to mind. All those children, there were a lot of them. And with her apron over her head, those children knew she wasn't to be disturbed. This was her time with God. We see Jesus' emphasis on the importance of scripture on the road to Emmaus. This story is the last chapter of Luke and I feel that that's no random thing. It's so important. On the road to Emmaus with Cleopas and his wife or companion, Jesus was a hidden Messiah at first. They didn't recognize him. They had known him. They were mourning him. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. The question is, what happened to make the difference? How can I, our eyes be opened as theirs were? And perhaps we often miss his presence. He's there. We just don't see him. Before Jesus revealed himself, he took those two travellers on the road on a journey back into scripture. Look what scripture teaches about the Messiah, he says. Even at that point, it seemed that Jesus was going to depart, but they urged him strongly to stay for the evening. They didn't just ask casually or politely. They asked him strongly, urged him to remain. It was when he took the bread, gave thanks and broke it, only then did they see who Jesus was. So it was the word and the sacrament speaking. Both were needed for their eyes to be opened. Jesus took them back into scripture for the penny to drop. Pete Gregg suggests that an extraordinary experience and a personal encounter are insufficient unless they are accompanied by biblical explanation. We need God's word. The scriptures bear witness to me, we read in John 5. So we learn of the need to look for Christ in all of scripture. We have to have open hearts as we read or listen, 
so that the head knowledge is transferred to the heart. As we read or listen with our hearts, so our hearts will burn within us, suggests John Stott. The Bible is a constant source of guidance, wisdom and direction through life's twists and turns. Remember those mazes and so on that the sheep can navigate? Like GPS, it guides us along life's path. Scripture is God's part, prayer is our part. In Scripture, God initiates the conversation, prayer is our response. The Bible isn't meant to be read through, it's meant to be prayed through. And we need to find some time. 1,500 years ago, Rabbi Samuel ben Nachmani said, we do not see things as they are, we see things as we are. If we hurry into the holy without preparing our hearts, we will come to scripture frenetically and functionally, projecting ourselves and our current situation on the text. I'm ashamed to admit how, how often I've casually dipped into scripture rather than making space for the holy to fill my life again and guide in all truth. And finally, and this is interesting, a survey of 40,000 people between the ages of 8 and 80 discovered that reading a Bi the Bible has a profound effect on both our mental health and our spiritual growth. But only if it's done at least four times a week. Once or twice a week had a negligible benefit and only a slight improvement with three times. But among those who study the Bible at least four times, there's a dramatic inflection point, a sharp uplift in their mental and spiritual well-being. People who study the Bible four times or more are less likely to feel lonely, less prone to anger, less likely to have feelings of spiritual stagnation, and much more likely to be active in sharing their faith. If you walk with God, I'm convinced you will hear him. It's so easy to drift off your own path and then realise that you've let Jesus slip from your consciousness. But we can pull it back. God is faithful. Isaiah tells us, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. Jesus' followers are protected by one who is more powerful than any thief. My sheep hear my voice is a gospel message of peace and grace. With this peace and grace, we can bring a word of hope to others. We're called to help others hear the voice of the shepherd so that they too may follow. By practicing God's presence, may we not miss an opportunity. May we be reminded of God's gifts of unmerited grace, forgiveness, and the Pentecost gift of the Spirit. <laughs>